name is Karen Johnson. I am um, a marketer by trade, a mom, mornings, nights, and weekends, I guess you would say. Um, I had a pretty severe or what I would say as serious battle with infertility over the course of uh, many years that I'm here to share with you today. But, um, you know, before we get started, you know, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I am in most senses of the term unremarkable, and that is not my own definition. That is the definition on several of my uh, medical reports, unremarkable ovaries, unremarkable uterus, whatever it was. But um, I am, in your sense, uh, or the start of the medical sense, uh, pretty unremarkable, but you know, I come here first saying that um, I am not a doctor. I am not a researcher, really. I am uh, trained mostly by, um, oh, I forgot to bring in the book I was going to bring in and hold up. But um, I'm just a person here to tell my story. But, um, you know, back to the basics of me, I am uh, of a normal AMH level. Both of my fallopian tubes are open. I have grown beautiful follicles through the IUI process. And I went on to um, do the same in uh, IVF. So I am pretty unremarkable in um, those starter senses of you know, where you begin your fertility journey. When I was a little girl, um, you know, growing up, I had an unremarkably fortunate life, so to say. I have a wonderful mother, a wonderful father. They're married. You know, I have uh, been so blessed in that sense. As a little girl, all I wanted was to be a mother. Uh, that's uh, That was the storyline for me, the Barbie dolls. This was my baby doll, Brett was his name. <laughs> Um, he, I carried him around until I was 11 years old. At 11 years old, I got my first job babysitting for $1 an hour. Um, so that was my childhood. I met my husband shortly after college. We were 24 years old. Um, we've been together, uh, whew, 11 years now. He waited four years to propose, which I didn't appreciate at the time, but um, we were um, married and, um, you know, then we started our journey to becoming parents. Um, oh, I guess I didn't animate the bottom. Um, I just included these in here for a little fun, but um, about one year into uh, trying, as you know, your doctors will tell you or mandate. Um, I went to the or I went to my OBGYN, and he um, uh, had a recommendation to start the IUI process. Essentially, I had been ovulation tracking at home, basal body temping. Um, uh, you know, doing, you know, crystal magic, no, whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> all the infertiles are into, but um, nothing was working. I'd never had a positive pregnancy test, uh, not even like, you know, one 
hint of a scare, hint of the thought that I was pregnant. So, you know, I very much lived my life um, um, in a different world, which was, uh, you know, I could never even try to think about getting pregnant. So anyway, we started the IUI process. I um, did four rounds of IUI. There were three to four beautiful eggs. I mean, I, I don't want to go into like every single detail because I feel like those are the non-factors, but um, nothing ended up happening. It was um, uh, never a positive pregnancy test. So, uh, you know, and, and from all the reports, normal. So we were recommended to, I'm Chicago-based, um, so we were recommended to the Fertility Center of Illinois, where I started my IVF journey the next year. Um, I went through the egg retrieval first as the protocol we were planning to do, um, the egg retrieval freeze, um, and then do an implantation. I, um, uh, did the egg retrieval like a gold star student, I would say. They pulled over 25 eggs out of me, which is probably uh, um, says to all of you that I have PCOS, which I think I do. I, I mean, I know I do, but um, <laughs> they pulled 25 eggs out of me. I got a little bit of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome that had to go down and we ended up with eight beautiful PGS tested normal embryos. And um, I went on to implant um, one of those. That was um, this little girly here. She was a girl. Um, I went through the two week wait from the implantation with her and um, uh, went in, I didn't do, there are a lot of conspiracies on when you can test and when a pregnancy test will be positive. There are full Facebook groups devoted to that now. Um, so I waited the full two weeks and I um, went in for a beta. I didn't test it. I didn't, I did test at home. It was, there was not even a faint line. I went in for my beta, my beta came back at 11. So I was two weeks post five day transfer. And, um, you know, they said it wasn't viable. And the doctor said, oh, gee, you were probably pregnant for like maybe one to two hours. And, you know, I had, I was in the office and I just, I was, I was so, I was devastated. I didn't know what one to two hours meant. I had never had a positive pregnancy test and, uh, you know, 11 is like fucking nothing. Excuse my language. Excuse my language. There is a small child here. 11 is not, as you know, viable. So. <laughs> Then so more. No, I have to be my authentic self. That does include a curse word. They do say that those who curse have a higher intelligence. <laughs> um, so I was just devastated. I was, it was the darkest time. I felt like I couldn't be as sad as I was because so many people had larger issues, larger losses um, you know, larger problems than I did. And 
Um, I did my own thinking and research and I um, asked for a um, pregnancy loss. Oh, I should go into that first. Okay. Um, so I did my own research and this was all kind of like happening at the same time. I was like in the depths of whatever internet was 20 in 2016. It wasn't like Reddit yet. It was like what to expect.com backslash blog. I don't know, backslash like page 50 million. And someone was like, you should read this book if like you're having trouble implanting. So I picked up this book on Amazon. It took two and a half weeks to get to my house from wherever it was ordered from. And I read the whole thing front to back. And again, I'm a marketer. I don't know if my IQ is actually high or not. And I, you know, I just, I read the whole thing and like, I, I was genuinely draw, jaw dropped shocked at the levels of, um, you know, what was being researched, reported, discussed as potential for why pregnancy cannot happen or could not sustain. And I got to the end of the book and I was who I am today. And I was like, great, I'll just call Dr. Alan Beer. And then it was his, like the next page was about his life. Obviously he is deceased. So um, there was a list of three, there is a list of three recommendations at the end of the book for clinics to, um, uh, get this line of testing or immune testing done. And I, uh, the first clinic was Chicago, Rosalind Franklin, and I thought it was fate. So I called up Rosalind Franklin to try to get an appointment. And they said, oh yeah, we'll put you on our wait list of like four and a half months. And I was like, okay, so this isn't a secret. Like some people understand this, but I just felt like I had like was the only one who had like found this world. And um, anyway, at the same time, I was doing what the book had said and working with a naturopath um, just to get some testing done. I was having stomach pains. Uh, it's been pretty typical in my life. Uh, what happens to me is um, about one hour after waking up, I get shooting pains in my stomach. They usually last about like three to four minutes. Half the days I throw up and it's over the other half. It's just like, feels like some acid. Anyway, it's like my whole issue. The healthier I eat, the better I feel, the less of this problem that I have. So um, I started abiding by um, what I guess I would call an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, I think that they call it a low-carb diet in some places, but essentially it was no gluten, dairy, soy, added sugar, alcohol, caffeine. Um, it was in a sense whole 30 if you know that protocol, it's a little bit dated now. But um, And then I was doing 30 to 50 grams of collagen per day. Um, I worked in the uh, supplement space at the time. I was an early uh, employee at a company called Vital Proteins, which is ingestible collagen. And I was employee number five throughout this entire process of infertility. We were growing that company to um, 
what it is today. So anyway, I understood um, and did a lot of my own research and understood a lot about um, kind of like the world of, I wouldn't call it diet, but the world of supporting uh, your body with healthy ingredients, so on and so forth. Um, anyway, so that was going on. I asked my RE to run the recurrent pregnancy loss panel. They ran it and um, charged $3,000 out of pocket because I did not have a, uh, I didn't have four pregnancy losses to qualify for the insurance of the panel. Keep in mind, IVF with insurance where I was at was probably five to 10 grand for you know, what I was expecting to pay IVF wise. So it was a, a, a fairly controversial thing that I did here. The only thing that came back um, abnormal was that I am um, MTHFR heterozygous. So um, this produced nothing for me. You know, the doctors at this phase were um, pretty much saying like, you know, you lose pregnancies and these things happen and you need to just keep trying and we'll do the next round. So, you know, with their advice, I planned for the next round of IVF and, um, I went into the hormone prepping process for that. Oh, that's a really good slide. I'm gonna... <laughs> um, I went into the IVF prepping process, which is a lot of hormones. It's, you know, pretty intense on, um, you know, what your day-to-day -day life is. And I got a call. It was, um, it was October. I got a call and it was Rosalind Franklin. And they said, oh, we have a cancellation. We can move you up earlier. It wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be in there for three more months. So, um, I said, great, you know, I'm planning to do this implantation next week. They said, okay, well, come in like tomorrow and we'll run your blood work. So I went in there, I got in as a new client, like a week before my implantation, they ran all of my blood work and um, uh, they called me back. I mean, some of these tests took, you know, like up to a week and some of them came back pretty quickly, but when they got the ANA level, they called me and said, like, cancel the implantation. And I said, why? They said, um, they said, um, you have the highest level of ANA or anti-nuclear antibodies that are chartable. And this could potentially, you know, be very hard on your pregnancy, if not terminate. So, um, I did not take their advice, but um, I uh, was listed with um, these 10, I don't know what you would call them, conditions um, after working with Rosalind, which kind of uh, turned my world upside down um, as I prepared for that transfer and kind of what to do. Okay, so um, immediately I started a medicine protocol that included blood thinners as well as metformin, um, you know, some of the vitamins that I was deficient in, prednisone. Uh, I did uh, between 30 and 40 
a day. It just depended on where I was in my pregnancy. And then I did Plaquenil and then um, I did IVIG to body weight. Um, I started that the day before my implantation. And then throughout the course of my pregnancy, I did IVIG one to three times a week. So um, I would double dose uh, many weeks. And then on some weeks I would do, I would come back and get another dose. Um, so I started this full, because uh, do you want to stop and like, are these informative facts? Do we want to stop and question ask questions? Feel free to ask any question. Yeah, it's okay with you? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if everybody is from here. Yeah, I, have, I have a quick question. Yeah. So what is MTHFR and why is being homozygous or heterozygous important? Oh, gosh. <laughs> It's methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. And if you are, if you have a polymorphism, it reduces the enzymatic activity. So you can't convert folate into a usable methyl group, which you should know very soon given that your dissertation's on you. So we'll, we'll review the one carbon metabolism. You're heterozygous, then you do. They would ask you to take probably 800 milligrams of folate. Right, exactly. No, they had me take Matinex, which was two. Okay. So this list of medication that you started all at once, was that on the advice of your infertility specialist or this other group that you would go to see? Um, through this other group. So through Rosalind Franklin, which, uh, you know, they're reproductive immunology. So... Um, my main fertility doctor was kind of like, what? But agreed that I could do it. I mean, that he wouldn't turn off the implantation, I guess, or cancel me. Yeah? I'm talking about the IVIG. A lot of times um, I work at a fertility clinic, um, we can't get the IVIG covered by insurance. So did you? That was all probably. Maybe we spend a bit of what is. I would love to go into that. Okay, so IVIG, as I understand it, is was taken to wash the um, um, antibodies in my so blood. It, it is a, an isolation in immunoglobulins. Yeah. That will bind to another antibody that may attack the, the, the fetus, and it's extremely expensive and it's not covered by insurance. Oh, okay, I can go into that. I would love to go into that. Um, IVIG is um, paid for uh, or dosed by your body weight. So it comes in a clear bag and which I put out because I was like, IVIG, is that red? Are they putting blood into me? <laughs> but it's very clear. Um, and they, um, you call a specific pharmacy to, um, to get the treatment. So the treatment is you call it in as yourself, the patient and out of pocket for me. And I mean, my weight didn't fluctuate that much, but I mean, we plan, we budget planned um, 2,500 for a bag or for a dose. Um, I, uh, 
I went into it without insurance. In most cases, you go into it without insurance because it is a uh, medicine that is uh, mostly used in, I believe, cancer. And um, it is not uh, just a, you know, a shoe-in for insurance policies <laughs> to cover it. Um, we petitioned two or three times to get the coverage. My husband is um, he works at a bank, uh, a very well-known financial institution that has good coverage. And um, I had about $80,000 in IVIG, uh, you know, building up and I was definitely freaking out. And um, I calculated it once that if insurance hadn't come, come in and helped me, um, I would have been about 200 grand out to have, um, this was uh, just to bring my son into the world. Uh, will you explain what is the, the reason of all these treatments by your, 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 by your the, who were attending you or you did the research by yourself? These were, um, this is what is on my medical records. No, so, but I said, why is the reason of taking all the different drugs? Did they explain to you or is something that you investigate by, by yourself? I um, am type A. So I, whenever talking about a drug, did my own research alongside of them, but they explained. Sure. Yes. <laughs> okay. So all of this medicine started happening. I was going through <laughs> trying to get insurance. It was obviously a huge financial question mark of what we were doing. Again, it was controversial um, about, um, oh, I went through with the implantation and uh, I implanted a boy and a girl embryo. I uh, have to live with several of the decisions that I made throughout the course of this journey, but I thought that was the best decision for me at this time, thinking I'm in this weird world where I have two doctors telling me I have major problems going on in my immune system. And I have another set of doctors that um, isn't sure or you know wouldn't necessarily subscribe or understand that system of logic at this point in my journey. And I just thought if it didn't work, um, then um, we would really know there was something wrong in my immune system. Um, I took a different approach to this implantation and I tested pretty much every day um, until it uh, showed up positive. And um, this was seven days post-implantation. Again, if you're a pregnancy blind watcher, this is a very dark line for being at that phase in your pregnancy. So um, I was really, really scared, and um, I had the help of the doctors at Roslyn to support my immune system and provide um, early ultrasounds and updates to help me understand this, but I chose to go through this path, um, you know, one week before I got pregnant, and when you have major immune problems, um, you know, you should probably think about that uh, first. So anyway, um, the twins um, both implanted. <laughs> this is a ultrasound picture from four weeks, five days. Um, 
And um, this is where it really gets fun, maybe for some of you, I don't know, but um, I lost um, the uh, baby bee as we call her um, at seven weeks. Um, I knew that I was going to lose her. I had been having ultrasound since that first picture, which was four weeks, five days, because her heartbeat wasn't rising. Um, to the level of baby A. Um, if you go back, you can kind of see them. Her initial implantation site was much smaller as well. Again, these were all PGS, PGD, whatever you call it, tested. Um, um, but, uh, you know, there were kind of problems from the beginning. And, um, you know, the blue line here is my TH1. Uh, the red line here is my TH2. Um, what I didn't chart in here was my ANA levels. My ANA levels did not go down below 1 to 1280 until I was 12 weeks, five days. And then they only stayed there for two months. Um, and, um, and, and then they lowered again right in the beginning of May. Um, and then my son was born um, um, okay, so, um, around middle of May, we started getting the numbers back that my levels were really high again. Um, and, um, you know, the nurses and the doctors just said, you know, in most immune patients, you give birth early, like, you know, you're not a, you know, not a full 40 weeker. Um, so, um, you know, I was working full time. I had a pretty smooth sailing here in what is probably the second trimester, right? Yeah, because mm -hmm. there we are 28 weeks and um, traveling for work, working about, I, I don't know, 60 hours a week. And um, we had to do a photo shoot and I, um, completed the photo shoot. And then the next day, you know, was laying on my couch and I stood up and I was 35 weeks and four days. I stood up and felt like a huge gush. And it was, um, it was blood. It was, uh, what felt like gallons and gallons of blood. And, um, my husband called an ambulance and said, like, an ambulance is coming and I had all of these problems. I was also on blood thinners, which was, you know, part of the whole thing. And um, they um, said, if you get in the ambulance, they'll take you to the nearest hospital. And I was um, going to give birth at Northwestern, which, you know, if you're in Chicago, that's like where you want to give birth at um, for a multitude of reasons. But um, I didn't get the suite with the views, but. Um, so we, I ran to the car, like I was being murdered. I ran in there, like I was being murdered. We, you know, we got there. They confirmed that I had, uh, ruptured my sack. Um, I don't know really why it was all blood other than I was told that that is semi-normal. Um, I had no signs of labor prior to the membrane rupture and, you know, they lined up my doctors. I had a C-section, they lined up the NICU doctors, but um, 
my little son Elijah was born um, perfectly healthy, probably due to the prednisone, um, uh, seven pounds, five ounces um, at 35 weeks, five days. And um, he has been uh, a healthy dream child ever since. Um, so um, that's kind of my story story to Elijah, excuse me, the part that I leave out is a series of hematomas um, that uh, uh, showed up, resolved, showed up, bled throughout the course of that entire pregnancy. Um, I don't think we need to go through every specific of that. Okay, so then um, a year after I had Elijah, we decided that we wanted to try again. I thought that if I approached this in a different manner by addressing my immune issues prior to conception, that I would have a better chance at um, having a healthy baby, having a healthier journey. You know, Elijah was in every sense, you know, perfect and, and great. And, um, you know, we never really talked about why he was born early or what might have happened there. But um, I went back and started IVIG in the full protocol. I um, don't have an exact chart on all of my numbers, but I do have the data. Um, and um, I lowered my uh, uh, my ANA levels down to 1 to 320 before I started. Uh, my TH1 and my TH2 were also uh, within the range of semi-normal. Uh, mine have never been normal. Um, and um, I did an implantation um, of uh, a little girl. Uh, she, uh, um, I found out I was pregnant around the same time as Elijah. Uh, two weeks later, I had a major episode where I thought I had miscarried. Um, it was terrifying. And we um, kind of shut the door and, you know, it was a Friday, of course. And um, I thought, okay, this one's over too. And, you know, called my family and I told them the sad news and then Monday at the ultrasound, there was still a heartbeat. Um, so the course of her journey, um, I had uh, um, spiked TH1, TH2, and ANAs, and a host of other, uh, I, I think, CD cells out of whack. So the CD19, CD56, and then the one that's like a combo. Um, were never normalized. Um, at 12 weeks, okay, so I had three ER visits during the course of this. I was on bed rest um, for uh, six weeks of my, of the first trimester. I mean, you only find out when you're four weeks. So I think I was not on bed rest for just a couple of weeks, but uh, the hematoma resolved around 12 weeks. Um, at 13 weeks at the, on the dot, I uh, stood up from my couch to go to bed and I felt a huge gush and I was so scared. I thought it was blood and I went to the bathroom and it wasn't. And I was just like, yes, like, let's go. Went to bed and 
I just like laid there in my bed and I was like, my water broke. And I called my OB because, you know, it was night. It was like 10 p.m. And he called me back on, I paged him or whatever. He called me back and he was like, you probably just like peed a little bit. And, and like, honestly, that's like probably what I would say to somebody, like some nut girl who calls me at 12 weeks saying she's in labor, like no shame. I was just like, it's not, I had to go back to the place where I birthed Elijah. Um, by the time I got to the emergency, not the emergency room, but to triage as they call it, which is the first floor of Northwestern before you get checked in to give birth. Um, by the time I got there and they did the ultrasound, she had basically no amniotic fluid left. She was still alive. Um, I said, okay, send me upstairs. Uh, you know, we'll figure it out up there. And they said, no, you have to go home. And I said, I have to go home. I have this baby who I just, my body just fucking killed, excuse my language. And I just, I was, I was in shock. They called in like Xanax at the CVS and they sent me home and they said, you have two options. You can birth her on your own, or you can come back for a DNC. And she was healthy. She was, she was, she was healthy. And I went home that night so scared that I was gonna have to give birth to her in my bathroom. You guys, it's so scary. Just hope you know the work that you do is really important because stuff like this is like the rest of my life. And I didn't. I survived until 4 p.m. on Friday afternoon when they fit me in. And they did the ultrasound. She was still alive. They brought in the woman who prays with you before a life is gone. I just said, please take my baby to heaven. Like, so sorry. Please forgive me. And no, it's fine. No, I know. I woke up from it and my husband was there. My mom had flown in and um, I woke up from it and I always wake up funny from procedures. That's why I put those pictures in whenever they give me like the sleeping drugs or whatever. But I said I wanted Portillo's, which is a hot dog place in Chicago. So we drove through Portillo's after that's like, oh, I'm good. I have tissues. Thank you. I'm a crier. It's fine. Um, and we drove through Portillo's and we sat at my dining room table with my son. He was 18 months old, my mom, my husband, and I just like, I just closed the door and I said, like, I'm going to choose joy. And I smiled at that dinner and I just, you know, I decided that I wanted to live in a different world, which is a world full of peace. And, you know, I think this is a quote that says it best for me. Um, you know, I just, I stopped trying to control and trying to over medicine, me trying to carry my own baby, I guess, in a sense. So, um, you know, I did all the healing and I sold my company to Nestle, like to Nestle, the chocolate maker. And 
life became like normal and peaceful and good. And I, I just felt that I really wanted to have another child. And so we went through a process of surrogacy and um, found a surrogate. And I am so grateful for being fortunate enough to be able to do that process. But um, I had no complications. She got pregnant the first round of um, IVF and my daughter Ruthie was born, you know, pretty much 40 weeks later, I think they let us <clears throat> pop her bag because I was up in Iowa to pick her up. But, <laughs> um, and I uh, have uh, my daughter here now and I just feel uh, uh, my life journey with my children and my husband has shifted and I've spent this decade, you know, trying to create this family that I now have. And I just feel very passionate and, um, almost alive inside to try to help other people, um, who are either on the path that I'm on or, um, going to be uh, to try to solve uh, you know what goes on in the immune system and and I uh, just come here to share my story and remind everyone that the work that you do is important and you know wouldn't have brought my son here um, without it so uh, that is my spiel. <laughs> Thank you. I always get a breaded chicken. <laughs> it's like a secret. <laughs> Any questions? Uh, you say several times that you did your own research for the different stuff. For someone like me that I'm trying to get into the science communication. What do you think that was the hardest thing to get to the information, to get to the to access to the knowledge that, for example, to all those kids that from the university say? Um, I just don't know if, like, I thought the validity of like the knowledge I was finding was going to be my doctor's opinion, and I found that to be the hardest part, you know, because bringing something forth to your doctor, even if it's clinically based, even if it's written by another doctor, like it's hit or miss, right? And like following and tracking your immune system as a reason why you are having issues in a pregnancy or unable to carry a pregnancy to term. I just... I felt like I was like on the gray internet, you know, just like, oh, like kind of being sneaky behind my doctor's back for a moment. But in a sense, it, it helps me expedite my process, probably perhaps saved me from many, many more losses. So I don't know. I was wondering, in the non-pregnant state, is your immune system triggered at it, yes, it is. It is. Um, I'm asymptomatic to my understanding, although people 
in the community would say, you don't know that, like, you don't know how you're feeling versus like how I'm feeling. But um, I know that my ANA level sustained post-pregnancy and post-fourth trimester. Any other questions? I'll go. A lot of us study the male contribution to couples infertility. Did they do any work up of your husband? And is he quote unquote normal or what was yeah? They did. They do that. They did that before the IUI process. So for the IUI, um, they spun his sperm. Um uh, so I went to the same floor of Northwestern every time. That first report that came back was normal. Uh, my husband was also genetically tested. He has one. I can't remember what it is, but I do not carry that. So we never progressed our knowledge of like what that is, but he has one genetic abnormality. Thank you. Any other questions? Well, so, what would you all have done? Would you have done anything differently? Are there any like advances to the protocol? Any other knowledge? Maybe I, I have what maybe a question that can answer that. So in cases where you are rejecting the logic of you, is it knowledge of you switch partner? Not that I'm saying that that's what they should hope, but <laughs> switch partner. Do women that reject, you know, that specific genetic combination tend to not reject? It's not. It's not really part of the the pregnancy. It's really an adaptation that is happening during the pregnancy, in that specific individual. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. It's it, the paternal component, the sternal paternal component. In terms of your question, what is going on? Yes. So we know now that it's a different type of new immune modulators. Uh, that you don't require to have all that cocktail, which is a big, big uh, burden to the body. And putting all those things is already a challenge. Yeah. yeah. So there is new type of drugs that, or approaches, even more natural, like HCG. Yeah. The same HCG that you're on the planet can modulate many of the things. But, you know, I want to thank you for sharing with you this because, see, many of the people that you see in this room, they spend seven days a week sometimes many, many hours in the lab trying to solve the problem that we brought. And I don't think we have every day, and sometimes many of them have never the opportunity to see the relevance of the work that you're doing. So I think you have conveyed an amazing message that is worth it to work seven days a week because there is a <laughs> lot of patients like you outside that still needs our help. Thank you for exciting us, for giving us the energy to continue doing our work. Okay. And thank you everybody for coming today.